focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio, we have our reporters in Kwanzaa and Yoon Hae-jung. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. Good evening to you guys. Well, we've been talking about that uh, uh, summit talk between uh, President, uh, President Vladimir Putin and uh, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. We're actually going to be uh, covering extensively on Kim's trip to Russia and the summit talks that took place between the two leaders. Uh, although not made official just yet, uh, Putin hinted on possible military cooperation uh, with Pyongyang, and we've been talking about how, uh, considering the delegation that traveled with Kim Jong-un on that armored train to Russia, uh, it is highly uh, speculated that there is going to be some sort of military cooperation, whether it be an arms deal. Nevertheless, so you're going to start us off. Uh, let's start off with the remarks made by Putin. Right. This summit, the first one in more than four years, was widely expected to evolve around an arms deal. Nothing's made official, but following the summit with Kim Jong-un, Putin hinted for possible military cooperation with the North while abiding by existing sanctions imposed on Pyongyang by the international community, which, as we know, Russia, too, voted for in the past when it comes to UN Security Council resolutions. Putin told Russia state media Russia one, that he is aware of certain restrictions and that his country complies with all of them. When asked about whether there were discussions on military technical cooperation during his one-on-one -on -one with Kim, he added, quote, but there are things that we can, of course, talk about, discuss think about it. And uh, here, too, there are prospects. So with that, uh, kind of suggesting that he is indeed looking for ways to cooperate on that front. He said, however, that it's too early to make a statement on the results of the summit as Kim's trip uh, his schedule in Russia is still ongoing. Speaking of which, he told Russian media that Kim, after the summit, will fly to Komsomolsk on Amur. I'm really not sure how to, if yeah, this pronunciation was... Town had a hard time correct. pronouncing this as well. <laughs> okay, I guess everyone has. So to that uh, place to visit an aircraft factory and to Vladivostok to take a look at Russia's Pacific fleet. But Kim seems to have chosen his special train again, uh, did not fly, and was reportedly spotted moving towards Russia's far eastern city of Khabarovsk around noon Thursday. Komsomolsk on Amur is in Khabarovsk Krai, the most industrialized territory of the far east of Russia. Uh, it's some 1,170 kilometers east from the summit the two held at the Vostochny spaceport. Now, the reason for why this pronunciation is even more difficult is because, you know, usually when we see those uh, difficult names it's actually easier to read them out in hangul in the korean but yeah. it's really different how you say it in korean is how it's written so you did your best you did your best uh, with the pronunciation i would say yeah you did as well as i would have done it uh, myself but a uh, thousand one hundred seventy kilometers east from where the summit was held and so i mean that's quite another uh, journey that uh, yeah. Kim Jong-un took part in in, uh, in order to take part in this. I think it takes, again, some 10 hours or so because <laughs> his train, as you know, can the speed of the train is less than 60 kilometers per hour. In only 10 hours? I would assume that it would maybe take a little bit more because it's like, what is it, the 37 miles?
miles per hour is what they probably more. Yeah. I, I just yeah. But uh, assumed. Yeah, but still, I mean, that's a whole lot of traveling, which means that there's going to be a whole lot of discussions on that uh, between the two leaders. But uh, North Korean leader Kim Jong Un, what's interesting is he invited Russian President Vladimir Putin to his own country to North Korea during their summit talks, and uh, it seems like Putin had actually accepted this offer. Uh, Hejung, tell us more about this. Well, to start off, the summit came as Pyongyang has recently been seeking to bolster military ties with Moscow and doubling down on its weapons development amid growing security cooperation between South Korea, the U.S. and Japan. And Pyongyang state media reported Thursday that President Putin accepted the North Korean leader's invitation as the two isolated countries seek to reinforce their ties. The North's official Korean Central News Agency, or the K. CNA said that Kim made the invitation at an official dinner with Putin on Wednesday after their summit at the Vosnoshny spaceport in their first meeting in over four years. The KCNA reported that at the end of the reception, Kim Jong-un courteously invited Putin to visit the DPRK at a convenient time, and that Putin accepted the invitation with pleasure and reaffirmed his will to invariably carry forward the history and tradition of the Russia-DPRK friendship. Now, during the two leaders' meeting, Kim said his latest trip to Russia marks a significant occasion to raise cooperative bilateral ties to a higher level, and that it is the consistent stand of the DPRK government to attach utmost importance to the DPRK-Russia relations and invariably develop the tradition of deep-rooted friendship. The talks were also joined by North Korea's Foreign Minister Choi son Defense Minister Kang Sun-nam, as well as Park Jong-chun, a top military official. The KCNA reported that the two sides discuss strengthening cooperation on the common front to frustrate the imperialists' military threat and provocation, although it did not specify the discussion's details. Yeah, uh, Kim Jong-un went as far as to call the ongoing war uh, again with uh, Russia and uh, Ukraine sacred war, right, against the imperialists, is I think what he said. And I would not be surprised if uh, Putin does end up going to North Korea because it's like one of the few countries I think he can go to because there's an arrest warrant by the ICC. And so if any other countries out there uh, where by, by the ICC rules that uh, he could be arrested. And so which is why Putin hasn't been really traveling to certain areas areas uh, to take part in large summits. Uh, But nevertheless, as we mentioned before, this summit between Kim Jong-un and Vladimir Putin was the first one in more than four years. And there were some, I guess, similarities um, from the earlier encounters as well as differences as well. So let's uh, do a bit of a comparison between the two summit uh, meetings that took place. All right. Uh, SJ, can you think of some similarities at the top of your head? Train Exactly. Oh, that's my first point, actually. (laughs) Did you read it? No, because because Kim Jong-un's trip uh, to Russia, there was so much emphasis on the armored truck is what it, uh, armored truck, armored Mm. train was what it is. Uh, But uh, that's one of the few ones I could think of, to be honest with you. Exactly. So he traveled again by train, his special train. So it was a long travel. And also the similarity is that Kim made a brief stop at the border station of Hassan, 
Hassan, yes. Hassan, Ka- right, without the K Maybe sound. Kassan, yeah. And uh, he was again there greeted with a red carpet, music, and also a high-level delegation, just like during his uh, earlier previous visit four years ago. And uh, there is another similarity. This one is very interesting. Putin waited 30 minutes for Kim, but this time he was just there early. So he was uh, ready to greet Kim and uh, so had to wait 30 minutes. And last time, Putin was actually late 30 minutes, but so was Kim. So Putin ended up waiting for Kim for 30 minutes. (laughs) So the similarity is that Putin was there at uh, the uh, venue first. But you might think that's Shouldn't that be normal if you are waiting for a guest? Mm -mm, But mm -mm. it's not for Putin because he's known for his lack of punctuality when meeting with his counterparts. It's part of his strategy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's kind of saying, look, I'm, I'm above you. And uh, no, I wait for nobody. They wait for me kind of a thing. Exactly. And I think there was rare cases where I think he, you will get rare cases where he's in there on time. But it's, it is very rare to see him wait uh, beforehand. And this is mm. what we're looking at here. Exactly. So these uh, are the similarities from uh, four years and five months ago. And then there are the differences. First off, the summit venue. Uh, it did not happen in Russia's second largest city, Vladivostok, as previously. And also, it was actually expected to be in Vladivostok when we first heard about the news that uh, Kim is expected to make a visit to um, to Russia. But it was the Vostochny Cosmodrome spaceport. Mm-hmm. And another difference is there was no joint statement or press briefing. They just went straight to the dinner venue after the summit. And... Uh, this one is a um, difference named by a number of experts who say that there is a kind of different position mm-hmm. by the two leaders. Back when they met in 2019, that was after the Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump summit after it had failed in Hanoi. And North Korea was getting isolated from the international community again, while Putin reached out his hand. Now, this time, uh, the Ukraine war has made Putin isolated from most of the world. So he He's in a more kind of desperate position than Kim this time. Yeah, if you remember one of the comments that was being made, I think it was uh, President Biden that said this, that uh, uh, Putin is so desperate, so desperate that he's traveling across his country uh, to meet another, I don't know what the terminology he used to describe Kim Jong-un, but anyways, he's there—he's basically saying that he invited Kim Jong-un to beg for uh, ammunitions and weapons and so forth. And that could be it because... The, the the previous summit four years ago, Putin waiting for uh, for thirty minutes was by mistake, right? It wasn't <laughs> it wasn't something like my buddy Kim Jong Un's coming and I'm gonna wait for him for thirty minutes. It wasn't that, but Putin again waiting thirty minutes. It's something that is so outrageous. Uh, that you can tell that there is something that Putin really needs from Kim Jong-un right now, something that they really need from North Korea right now. And given the fact that North Korea has a track record of being very much isolated, I think Russia is kind of going, we're on the same page here. Even China is not really helping Russia, right? Kind of, China is kind of going, well, you know, we're your allies and, mm. uh, you know, we'll have discussions and so forth. But when it comes to providing weapons, that I'm not, you know, touching with a 50-foot pole is what China is saying. So the only real ally they have in this ongoing war in Ukraine is North Korea. And again, that uh, 
clear difference in the way that Putin has invited uh, uh, Kim Jong-un during their talks there. Uh, but of course, as North Korea and uh, Russia, the leaders there, held uh, a summit talk, you have uh, Seoul's Unification Minister Kim Jong-ho expressing his deep concerns about military cooperation and uh, possible arms deal between the two countries. Uh, Hejang, let's get more on this. Right. Unification Minister Kim Jong-un addressed reporters a day after North Korean leader Kim Jong-un and Russian President Putin held a summit on Wednesday. The unification minister said Pyongyang and Moscow have apparently continued to be pushing for military transactions, citing Kim's visit to munitions factories and Putin's hint at supporting North Korea's satellite technology. He mentioned the need to grasp detailed results of the Kim-Putin summit and that the government once again called on North Korea and Russia to stop illegal and reckless acts that only deepen their own isolation and abide by international norms, including the UN Security Council resolutions. And just a couple of hours ago, a senior official at the Korean presidential office admitted that it's been confirmed for a very, very long time that the kind of weapons provided by North Korea were actually used by Russia on the battlefield in Ukraine and asked if Korea's stance against lethal arms aid to Ukraine could change in the wake of the summit between North Korea and Russia. The official answered that humanitarian and reconstruction assistance to Ukraine is what South Korea considers to be primarily essential to supporting Ukraine and that Korea's position is not going to be reversed in a day or two because of what the neighboring powers are doing. So the official also added that the Korean government will continue to keep an eye on the situation in Ukraine, observe and discuss what Ukraine needs, and then decide on what to focus on in terms of support. Yeah, just kind of going back into any sort of uh, arms deal between uh, North Korea and Russia, one of the main reasons for why they said that the two leaders aren't going to be issuing any joint statement or joint press conference is because they want to keep uh, the contents of their mm -hmm. discussion uh, as secretive as possible because they're not going to go on knowing that the international community is condemning a potential arms deal. They're not going to go, ladies and gentlemen, we've decided that we are going to trade <laughs> uh, arms for uh, sat spy satellite technology. That's a possibility, right? Uh, and so... If it does happen, it is probably going to happen very secretly, secretively, and so we'll keep a close tab on that. But we talked about this, I guess, bolstering of cooperation between North Korea and Russia over the past several months now. And of course, the summit uh, between the two leaders uh, really show that as well. And we talked about China, right? I mean, China is an interesting kind of kicker with this. It could be a wild card, although they are trying to be hands off on any kind of military uh, uh, well, there could be a military cooperation in that they don't, without having to give any ammunitions or anything like that. Many people are saying the China factor is sort of expected to play a big role in the future here. So, uh, so uh, let's get more on this. Sure. There are more signs of a trilateral bond forming, especially with Russia being isolated from the West and needing the support from close friends. And these signs are seen in upcoming schedules as there are bilateral meetings coming up between Russia and China very soon. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi is expected to travel to Russia next week. He and his Russian counterpart Sergei Lavrov are set to get together on the 18th, which would be 
Monday. They are expected to discuss the holding of a bilateral summit, so between President Xi Jinping and Putin, as well as um, the upcoming agenda at such possible summit. And that could happen as early as next month, according to reports. Uh, probably there will also be a briefing on the Putin-Kim meeting when Putin and uh, Xi meet together. Now, a trilateral meeting does not seem to be in talks. Uh, as experts say, from China's perspective, a three-way with North Korea and Russia would kind of uh, put some pressure on Beijing. Uh, first off, in terms of sanctions, uh, because we know North Korea is heavily sanctioned uh, and uh, China does not want to, you know, uh, put its hand into um, anything related to uh, possible uh, military cooperation mm -hmm. as for now. And uh, also China, you know, has already difficult relations with the U.S. and Europe. So if it's kind of made obvious that it's siding with Russia and North Korea, this would make it even more difficult for China uh, in terms of economy and all other uh, other uh, international, um, what should I say, international cooperation, cooperation and also... Um, when it comes to bilateral relations with other countries, for instance, that are close to the U.S., Korea, for instance. Yeah, I mean, but China has kind of been, they're, they're the weird one in that group, right? Because <laughs> they know that for them, economy is bigger than anything right now. And uh, because of the COVID, it's, it's really been slumping and they've really tried to be rebounding. And let's face it, there's been already some sanctions put in place, right? Mm. By the like, U.S. sanctions and things like that. It's really impacted them. And so the last thing that they need right now is more sanctions. Uh, but China is kind of like, you know, when you have like a group of friends, right? And, you know, China always, when you get together, they, you know, they play really well and, uh, you know, always have fun. And then it's like, first round, uh, you know, it's on Russia. Russia's like, oh, it's on me. And the second round's like, you know, North Korea is on them. It's like, oh, it's on me this time. And it's time for last round. And China's like, you guys want to go home? <laughs> it's like, like, they'll they'll be buddy buddies, but they're not going to cooperate deeper than just kind of being, having that, I guess, symbolic alliance. And which is why I think China is a little bit different uh, in, in that. And, and that's the reason why Russia, I think, is getting closer with North Korea, knowing that, you know, China, although they're just traditional allies they're not really doing anything much for russia mm, and especially because china is not supporting the ukraine war yes mm. and china can't afford to support the ukraine war is what it is right and uh, also um regarding the uh, recent summit between kim jong-un and vladimir putin uh china's foreign ministry did not have much to say re in regards to that of course not um, they uh, were asked about it uh, to have a comment and a spokesperson at china's foreign ministry said a visit by the north korean leader to russia is a matter uh, among north korea and russia so uh, quite a passive remark toward that summit yeah yeah basically <laughs> i wasn't invited so whatever <laughs> uh, of course the united states very much concerned about the growing defense cooperation between north korea and russia and the u.s is likely to take necessary steps to counter any potential arms deal between uh, the two allied countries hedging let's get more on that Sure, many figures at the White House had something to say in regards to this issue. First, John Kirby, National Security, Strategic, National Security Council Strategic Communications Coordinator, underscored that Russian support for North Korea's illicit nuclear and ballistic missile programs would be of significant concern to the U.S. Now, obviously, such concerns come as the Kim Putin summit took place. And although Pyongyang and Moscow have yet to release the details of the meeting as 
as we've discussed. What is for sure is that President Vladimir Putin promised to help North Korea build satellites. The NSC official said the U.S. does not have full visibility on the outcome of the Kim-Putin meeting, but noted Russia is seeking to sign a potential arms deal with North Korea. He also warned of possible consequences for North Korea, saying, quote-unquote, if they do decide to move forward with some sort of arms deal, obviously we will take a measure of that and we will deal with it appropriately. And Secretary of State Anthony Blinken also reiterated that any weapons deal between Pyongyang and Moscow could violate numerous UN Security Council resolutions. He also highlighted U.S. efforts to disrupt any transfer of weapons technology from Russia to North Korea. Meanwhile, State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller, Miller characterized the Kim Putin meeting as the Russian president begging Kim for assistance. Now, in a press briefing, he said, quote, unquote, Now, a year and a half later, after losing tens of thousands of Russian soldiers and having spent billions and billions of dollars, he is begging Kim Jong-un for help. So it says something about the overall context of how this war is going for Russia. Now, the spokesperson also reiterated that the U.S. will watch very closely the development from the summit and will not hesitate to impose sanctions if it's appropriate. Yeah, so again, I mean, there's the big question mark on how much uh, effect further sanctioning the two countries will be, right? Like, North Korea has been sanctioned forever now. I mean, they're they're used to... They're one of those guys that have been sanctioned so much, they're like, whatever, right? Like, we don't really care about this. Russia, listen, they're going to sanction us, but we don't care. We need all your... We need your assistance as well. And so we're going to risk getting sanctioned uh, to of course, uh, you know, get what we want. Whereas Russia, they have been impacted by the sanctions. I mean, this is the reason why they're unable to create any more ammunitions for this ongoing war in Ukraine. But the big question now is if the sanctions continue, there's more sanctioning on Russia. And I believe already Russia is like going through like historic inflation figures right now. The economy's very, very bleak over in Russia. Uh, how much of more the, the internal, there's going to be a lot of internal disparity going on within Russia, uh, saying this is not going like you have initially planned and, uh, you know, teaming up with North Korea isn't going to help further. But North Korea also as well, can they continue to support this? And it's it's a time game right now. I think the longer it goes, we don't know who this is going to help uh, further. But that's the other drawback is we don't want the war to go longer over in Ukraine, right? Um, as the world's eye closely watches this development uh, between North Korea and Russia, you also have UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres uh, calling on caution in a remark, apparently signaling at Moscow. So, uh, so what did Guterres say? The United Nations chief had a warning remark towards Russia and North Korea, but not mentioning any of them directly. During a press briefing at the UN headquarters in New York on the Wednesday local time, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres stressed the importance of abiding by UN resolutions when he was asked for a remark regarding the summit between North Korean leader Kim Jong-un and Russia's President Vladimir Putin. So here's part of the exact wordings by the UN leader. Any form of cooperation of any country with North Korea must respect the sanctions regime that was imposed by the Security Council. So any country is highly likely to mean Russia. Uh, And as I said, Guterres refrained from mentioning any country by name, and he also had no response to the international community's concerns regarding the meeting between Kim and Putin. He did, however, mention Pyongyang's recent launch of two ballistic missiles into the East Sea, saying North Korea is continuously violating 
UN resolutions. Um, in separate news, but uh, related to the UN, the presidential office uh, announced this Thursday that President Yoon Seok-yeol is slated to make a five-day visit to New York starting Monday to attend the UN General Assembly on Wednesday. And he's expected to have a message to North Korea and Russia and their potential military exchanges. Yeah, I believe uh, President Yoon is also going to be meeting with uh, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres on the sidelines of that as well. Uh, Polina Maldonado asked, what about Belarus, SJ? Well, Belarus is not going to get involved with uh, the war in Ukraine directly uh, because Belarus wants to make sure, unless they're 100% sure that Russia can win this war, Belarus is not going to go in because if they go in and Russia ends up losing, they're gone too. Uh, So Belarus is playing this very, very cautiously, cautiously, uh, although I believe uh, Russia and uh, Belarus agreed to put some uh, tactical nuclear weapons uh, in Belarus. Uh, Let's move on. The U.S. uh, Department of State has approved a possible sale to South Korea of up to 25 F-35A radar-evading fighters and uh, related uh, equipments to help South Korea, which they, of course, call an East Asian ally, maintaining a credible defense capability. Hejong, tell us more about this. Sure. On Wednesday, the Defense Security Cooperation Agency, or the DSCA, under the U.S. Department of Defense, made the announcement on the potential government-to-government foreign military sale estimated to cost $5.06 billion. Now, for some background, South Korea has been pushing to bring in a new batch of F-35A stealth fighters to prop up the country's kill train preemptive strike system, which is a pillar of its deterrence program against the North's nuclear and missile threats. Now, in March, South Korea's Defense Project Promotion Committee approved a 3.75 trillion won plan or a $2.82 billion plan to buy the F-35A aircraft. And the South Korean Air Force currently maintains 40 F-35As manufactured by U.S. defense giant Lockheed Martin. And the Korean government has requested the purchase of up to 25 F-35A fighters along with 26 engines, electronic warfare, reprogramming lab support, and other pieces of related equipment. The DSCA announced that the proposed sale will improve the Republic of Korea's capability to meet current and future threats by providing credible defense capability to deter aggression in the region and ensure interoperability with U.S. forces. The DSCA also delivered the required certification notifying Congress of the possible sale earlier in the day as the sale requires congressional endorsement. Let's uh, quickly move on to some issues involving human rights, but uh, surprisingly not situation in North Korea, this, uh, but this time South Korea for a change. Uh, this as a special rapporteur of the United Nations has released a report on South Korea's human rights issues and called for efforts to readdress uh, human rights violations that occurred during the Uh, country's authoritarian period, as well as Japan's colonial rule. So let's get more. Right. The United Nations Human Rights Council is currently in its 54th session, which started on September 11th and is... uh, going until October 6th. And uh, on that occasion, a report was released by the Special Rapporteur on the promotion of truth, justice, reparation, and guarantees of non-recurrence, Fabian Salvioli. He assessed the 
measures and efforts by the South Korean government in regards to serious violations of human rights and humanitarian law during the periods of occupation, war, and dictatorships. The almost 20-page-long report looks at the country's efforts in legal frameworks that address human rights violations, justice, reparation, memorialization, and guarantee of non-recurrence. And I did try to look through those 20 pages. You did? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> and it ends with uh, recommendations to the government. Now, while noting progress made in adopting legal frameworks to address gross human rights violations and establishing ways to seek the truth and memorialize the past events after leaving many human rights abuses unaddressed for decades, he still saw much room for improvement. Uh, and one of that is regarding the so-called Comfort Women Agreement. He called on the revision of the 2015 agreement, although there were some kinds of uh not revisions, but following agreements between the governments. However, he was asking, uh, he requested a revision of that, saying the bilateral negotiations between Seoul and Tokyo lack a human rights approach that effectively advances the rights of the victims to redress and reparation, and that the 2015 agreement has led to the curtailment of such rights. And he, with that, he urged for a scaled-up commitment from the South Korean government. And he also called on specific steps to annul the national security law or amend it in a way it meets international standards and also to review the Assembly and Demonstration Act as well as the National Intelligence Service Act. I won't go into the details mm -hmm. of what kind of uh, changes uh, there should be made. The report also requested the government to ensure state officials who have committed wrongful or illegal acts to be adequately punished or sanctioned and to make sure they disclose information relevant to their crimes to the public. That again, I won't name any names, but it could be regarding, you know, uh, past politicians or um, past presidents even. Mm -hmm. And all of these, uh, this information, this report is based on the uh, reporter's visit to South Korea last year from June 8th to 15th. So to give you just a little bit of background, uh, Salvioli, during his eight-day stay in South Korea last year, made visits to the sites of democratic movements in Gwangju. He met with Lee Yong-soo, a 94-year-old victim of Japan's sexual enslavement of Korean women and girls during World War II, a civic group for the victims of the 1948 civilian massacre on Jeju-do Island, and victims of manipulated espionage charges under the country's past authoritarian governments. So going through this, I kind of realized, uh, you know, when we talk about human rights, it's always... Uh, you know, we slam North Korea for their human rights abuses mm -hmm. and so forth. But if we look at the past, there's still much uh, South Korea, uh, more efforts that South, the South Korean government could put in. Yeah, definitely so. And of course, so you mentioned the uh, the 2015 Comfort Women Agreement. The biggest flaw of that was the fact that it just wasn't centered on the victims themselves. Mm -hmm. And it was just centered on the two governments of South Korea and Japan at the time, uh, just trying to agree with their own uh, little bit of a deal there. Uh, moving on, the Korean Railway Workers Union kicking off a general strike Thursday, uh, demanding better working conditions, not to mention expansion of KTX high train, uh, train service to include a lucrative station in southern Seoul. I think they're talking about Susa Station. Hedgen, let's uh, get more on this. 
Sure, unionized railway workers launched a general strike starting 9 a.m. Thursday, which is today. And according to the union, some 13,000 workers are taking part in the walkout, excluding around 9,000 necessary for maintenance. The Korean Railway Workers Union will stage the strike until 9 a.m. next Monday. And this is the first since the last one in November 2019. During the four-day strike period, KTX high-speed trains will operate at 68% of normal levels, ordinary trains at 60%, and metropolitan subway trains at 75%. Now, the collective action is intended to pressure the transport ministry to come to the dialogue table on allowing KTX trains run by Korea Railroad Corporation, more commonly known as CoreRail, the national railway operator, to access Suso Station, the starting station of another high-speed train service. Called the Super Rapid Train or the SRT. Now, KTX and SRT start at Seoul Station and Suzhou Station, respectively, and use different routes to Pyeongtaek, 60 kilometers south of the capital, on the way to the southern cities of Busan and Mokpo. Now, the union said an integration of KTX and SRT services will help with seat shortages as well as fare costs. However, the Ministry of Land, Infrastructure and Transport's position is that such an integration would not only violate the competition system, but would also pose difficulties in terms of immediate implementation due to insufficient operating conditions, such as lack of rail track capacity and vehicles. The union is also demanding better working conditions, such as the full implementation of the four-team two-shift system to ensure that rail workers do not work the night shift for two days in a row. Now, in response, the government has launched an emergency countermeasures headquarters to minimize disruptions in train operations by bringing in substitute workers to maintain operations at 90% of normal levels during the morning rush hours on metropolitan subway lines and at 80% of normal levels during afternoon peak hours. Now, meanwhile, the transport ministry also plans to work closely with railway police to respond to any illegal activities that may occur during the strike, including actions that obstruct the duties of personnel operating trains. There you go. That was a long one. And of course, Hanjong losing her voice because of how long it is. Did you, were you on strike too? Were you, were you going outside screaming, (laughs) asking for a better (laughs) note? Is that why you lost just your voice? Just for experience. Just for experience. Yeah. For a live, re- right. live report. <laughs> just, to, just to give us a live report yeah. on this. You took part in the, uh, the demonstrations there. Uh, we're going to move on here and, of course, uh, continue to talk about the latest situation in Libya because, again, I, I haven't seen anything like this uh, in my memory, to be honest with you. Uh, a flood leading to this many death toll, 8,000 is where it stands right now. Uh, apparently, South Korean government, meanwhile, expressed grief and promised support. Uh, so well, let's get the latest updates. Right. The death toll is uh, rising at fast speeds. Uh, official figures and also official figures as well as figures mentioned by officials uh, kind of differ. But yeah. as of Thursday, I saw how NBC, Bloomberg and uh, other international media say authorities put the number at over 8,000. Now, as of Wednesday, an interior ministry spokesperson from Libya told AFP 3,000 
1,840 deaths have been recorded. So you see how much the situation is changing in just a day. And uh, in fact, on Wednesday, a minister of civil aviation told Reuters that more than 5,300 are dead and the number is likely to even double. But that seems to have already become reality. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the mayor of Derna, uh, Abdul Menam al-Gaiti, told media the estimated number of deaths could reach between 18,000 and 20,000. South Korea's government, meanwhile, has expressed its condolences to those who have lost their lives and promised support for Libya in cooperation with the international community that coming from the foreign ministry. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we know that South Korea's government has also offered um, help to Morocco. Uh, however, there has been no, no response yet on uh, support for the earthquake crisis. Yeah, I was looking at uh, some of the uh, the worst floods in history. I mean, these date back very, very long time. China had some of the worst. Uh, where they're saying even the, the the worst one is the 1887 Yellow River uh, flood. They're estimating something like 930,000 to 2 million people that died. But this was back then. If you look at like modern history, uh, anything that goes close to this is 1999 uh, in Venezuela with the 1999 Vargas mudslide. They say something like 10 to 30,000. Mm -hmm. But if you look at anything else, there's nothing that compares to it in recent uh, modern history. And which is why this is that much more uh, shocking over there. And uh, again, uh, whether it be the Morocco uh, earthquake or the Libyan uh, floods, uh, we'll continue to keep a close tab and give you guys all the latest updates for all of our listeners out there. Guys, thank you very much for coming in with your reports. Have a safe rest of the week and uh, looking forward to talking to you again. Thank you. Thank you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.